This is Trek FM. Helling frequencies open. This is your Trek FM Hyper Channel for Monday, June 9th, 2014. I'm Christopher Jones, and today I have just one story for you because I knew that I would probably take the whole show to talk about this. Today marks the 25th anniversary of Star Trek V The Final Frontier. It's the movie that fans love to hate. It's the movie that's cited as the worst of all the Star Trek films. But I think that it gets a bad rap. Now, before you turn me off, don't get me wrong, it's not a great movie. But it has elements in there to love if you're a longtime Star Trek fan, especially a fan of the original series. And there's something there, there's potential in this movie. That it, it could have been a much better film. There were a number of things that played into its disappointment at the box office, as well as the way that it let down many fans. And I wanted to share my thoughts with you today on Star Trek V The Final Frontier. So the film premiered on June 9th, 1989. I remember it well. In fact, I can remember. The theater where I saw it in Birmingham. And I can remember driving there, being in the parking lot, seeing the movie poster. It wasn't the movie poster that you may have seen circulating around the internet from time to time that did not include Kirk and Spock and the horse on Nimbus 3. There's this poster that they did, an alternate poster, that had a picture of a theater seat. And it was floating in space, and it said, Why are they installing seat belts in theaters this summer? Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. And to this day, I don't know the answer to that question, to be honest with you. Maybe if, if that were about first contact, perhaps it might make a little more sense. But anyway, they really had an idea that they were producing something that was different than what actually landed on our screens. In fact, I have read before that some of the producers working on the film said that they were really smoking their own press releases when they were making The Final Frontier. I think it's easy to do sometimes with a creative project where you get so into it and you believe you're creating one thing when you're really not. You're doing it so much for yourself that you're losing sight of the overall project and what it's going to be for the audience and how it will read to the audience. And I think that happened a bit in Star Trek V. So before I share my thoughts on the actual film itself, a little background information to Star Trek V. It actually opened at number one at the box office, and it brought in $17 million on that opening weekend. That's pretty good. The problem is what happened after that. The total gross for Star Trek V domestically, US and Canada, was $52 million. And then it brought in an additional $17 million internationally. The thing is, Star Trek IV grossed $109.7 million domestically. So Star Trek V didn't even make up half of what Star Trek IV brought in. And it's an interesting point to me because I think that the success of Star Trek IV contributed as much to the failure of Star Trek V 
as any of the other things that are cited. And the reason is that Star Trek IV was a lighthearted film that hooked in the general audience in a way that Star Trek generally can't do. And Star Trek IV is an authentically funny movie. The humor in that movie comes very naturally. And the audience really connected with that, both Star Trek fans and non-Star Trek fans. And I think the studio thought that if they just make the next Star Trek film funny also, and don't make it so dramatic, like The Wrath of Khan or The Search for Spock, that that was somehow a magic formula for box office success with Star Trek. And so they forced the humor in Star Trek V. There are jokes throughout the movie. Very, very few of them work. Very few of them feel authentic when spoken by the characters. Most of them feel like the script writers intentionally putting jokes in, thinking, oh, this one is definitely going to make the audience laugh right here. And it just didn't work. So in that respect, I think that Star Trek IV contributed to the failure of Star Trek V. Now, that wasn't the only challenge faced by Star Trek V, however. There was a writer's strike, and that always impacts movies and television shows. It may sound like an excuse, but it really does impact things because you can't rewrite. You can't change lines. If there's something that you see in the script that's not working, you can't fix it. Technically, anyway, you can't fix it. And so writer strikes really do impact things. And so I think that played a bit into it, especially when you watch the film and you feel how disjointed the acts are and how the pieces just don't fit together into a narrative that pulls you through the movie. If they could have rewritten, now I don't know if they would have rewritten Because I also think one, as much as I love William Shatner, I think one contributing factor to the failure of Star Trek V is Shatner doing what he wants to do in each part of the movie without really thinking about whether it needs to be there or whether it works for the film. But the writer's strike was an issue. Another thing that I have heard before is that Some people say that the failure of Star Trek V at the box office is in part due to dissatisfaction that Star Trek fans had with The Next Generation. It's no secret that TNG Season 1 is not great. It's probably the weakest season of Star Trek, period, in the entire franchise with the possible exception of the third season of the original series, maybe. But I don't think that myself. I think TNG season one is the weakest season of Star Trek. And it's understandable because they were creating a new show and no one thought that they could do it. This is never going to work. Actors are easing into their roles. I understand. So I don't hold it against TNG for that. But I can see where fans would be dissatisfied with it you're bringing a new crew and a new enterprise to people who think that Kirk, Spock, and Bones and the 1701 are sacred. It's a big challenge. Star Trek V was being produced 
simultaneously with the second season of TNG. The thing for me with this argument is that I would think the opposite. I would think that if fans were unhappy with The Next Generation, they would flock to the theater to see a film with Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, especially one which actually brings that triumvirate together in a way that the other films don't, which is one of the positive points that I want to make about this film today. So I don't think this argument holds any water, personally. One that does hold water, to some extent, are the visual effects. Industrial Light and Magic was not available to do the effects on this movie. And so they turned to a company called Associates and Farron. And the effects done by Associates and Farron are weak. They're not... I started to say they're not terrible. By today's standards, they are absolutely terrible. By the standards of the time, I will not go so far as to say that they're absolutely terrible, but they are inferior to the work of Industrial Light and Magic. And so I can see the complaints that you hear about the visual effects being valid. I don't really think that contributed to the poor performance at the box office, though. Because the effects, they never bothered me at the time. And even today when I watch the movie, I still am not really bothered by them. They they serve the purpose of the story. They're not beautiful. They're kind of cheesy. But, you know, like when the photon torpedo comes from the bird of prey and the Enterprise warps out of the way. How unrealistic of an effect can you create? <laughs> That's a good example of an unrealistic one, even within Star Trek. But I don't know. I don't think that that necessarily had so much to do with it. What I do think contributed is the fact that this movie went up against Batman, Lethal Weapon 2, Ghostbusters 2, Indiana Jones, and The Last Crusade. So people will flock out who really, really want to see this movie. They will flock to the theater to see it. And that's why it did well on opening weekend, and it opened at number one. But then the general audience, the general public, has all these other movies to go to. If they're not diehard Star Trek fans, they're probably not going to turn out for this movie, especially when word of mouth leaks out that, yeah, you know, the story's not great. It's got this really weird opening, and then it takes you like 30 or 40 minutes to get into any sort of narrative that makes any sort of sense. Otherwise, you're just hopping around to scenes from Star Trek with bad jokes. I think that contributed a lot. I also think, and this is a topic for another show, I also think this contributed to the poor performance of Nemesis, because Nemesis was also going up against these blockbuster films. And there's only so much time people have to go to the movie and only so much money they have to spend. Anyway, Gene Roddenberry himself was dissatisfied with this film, saying that some of the plot elements were apocryphal, and it isn't really clear exactly what he's talking about there, because really, the central premise of this movie is the search for God, which is something that Gene Roddenberry wanted to tell over and over and over. It was the basis for the aborted pilot for... Phase 2, when that series didn't happen, 
which was then transformed into the plot of the motion picture. It was something that the studio fought against for a long time, something that Gene Roddenberry wanted to do over and over. So in that sense, I would think he would be happy with this movie because he got to tell that story again. But you have weird things in here like Cybok. Spock having this half-brother who we've never, ever heard of before. And it's especially odd because what I like about Star Trek V is I like the character moments. I like the relationship between Kirk and Spock and Bones. I think there's a lot of good in this movie in that respect. And it's why I think that fans who love the Triumvirate and who love these characters should give this movie more of a chance and just overlook Cybok, overlook chain-smoking Federation representative, and overlook Romulan, who looks nothing like a Romulan, and focus on the character moments, especially from the middle of the film onward. But the camping scene, campfire scene, is also very nice. I think that having a half-brother who we've never heard of before is counter to the rest of the character moments because Kirk and Spock know each other so well. Kirk, Spock, and Bones, they all know each other, and they've been friends for so long that the idea that they would have never, ever learned that Spock had a half-brother is a little bit hard to swallow. It's not impossible. I mean, they didn't know about the Ponfar, which is something that you would think that after a couple of hundred years together with humans and Vulcans, that humans would have known about Ponfar, but they didn't. So there you go. So to transition just fully into the positive aspects of this film, which I do want to point out, character moments. It's one of the only films that really, truly bring Kirk, Spock, and McCoy together, keep them together, have them depend upon one another, and highlight their friendship. And usually in the films, they split up these three. You know, you see it in the search for Spock. Spock is dead. They have to go find him. You see it in Star Trek IV. Again, they're all split up doing their own thing. Kirk and Spock are together, but Bones is off doing his thing with Scotty. In the undiscovered country, they're split up again. Spock is on the ship. Kirk and Bones are in prison in Ruapente. So this is a great and rare moment for fans of the original series. And I think it's something that people should embrace and don't dwell upon the negative in this film all the time and instead embrace the fact that we get to spend time with these three characters. Another positive thing in this film is the music. This was Jerry Goldsmith's return to Star Trek after he scored the motion picture. And this film has a beautiful soundtrack. It's very Copeland-esque. For years and years, actually, I listened to this soundtrack in my car. Even though I didn't love the film so much, the soundtrack is just so beautiful. And it brings back the Klingon battle theme that Goldsmith had composed. And it brings it back after so many years. And it's something that has become a mainstay of Star Trek later on through TNG, First Contact, uh, you know, even in 
Deep Space Nine, they're just they're, this little motif of dun 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 This comes in, and it's so Klingon, and it's used heavily in this soundtrack, and, and I love that. Sadly, because of the box office performance of Star Trek V, Goldsmith refused to come back for the Undiscovered Country. It's kind of sad because he composes so well. But at least he did finally come back and score First Contact and Insurrection and Nemesis. And he even composed the theme for Star Trek Voyager. So the music in here is wonderful as well. In the end, this film suffers from poor editing, poor pacing, uh, poor visual effects, and poor acting from some, not necessarily from everyone. The film was the winner of the 1990 Razzie Awards for Worst Picture, Worst Actor, Shatner, which I don't agree with, Worst Director, Shatner, which maybe I would agree with. It was also nominated for Worst Picture of the Decade, which I absolutely don't agree with, Worst Supporting Actor, DeForest Kelly, which I absolutely don't agree with, and I don't know who nominated him for this and what they were thinking, but that's ridiculous. Worst Screenplay, Lowry, Shatner, and Bennett. Yeah, maybe. Worst Concept for a Film, no. I actually think that the premise of this film is interesting. The search for what's inside us. So it's the search for God. That's what people say, right? The search for God. But I see it more as the search for what's inside us and what makes us who we are. That's what Cybok uses against people. That's his power. That's what he tries to get people to reflect upon and then somehow magically brainwashes them because of it. But when you get to Shakari and you find out that this alien who claims to be God is just an alien and he tells Cybok, you know, it's you are, you can see yourself in me. That's the actual point of the film, and that's quite interesting. So it's too bad that it wasn't executed better. It could have made a very, very interesting story. In the end, though, The Final Frontier has given us other things. For example, if someone asks me how long it'll take to get somewhere, I always say, at foot speed, I estimate our arrival at the store to be 20 minutes. And it's also given us the phrase, be one with the horse. So there's always something you can pull out of this movie. Well, that's my spiel on Star Trek V on the anniversary of its premiere, the 25th anniversary. Let me know, what do you think about Star Trek V? I will be surprised if no one contacts me about what I've said here today, because so many people hate this film, just flat out hate it, that they get very upset if you do point out anything positive about it. So let me know what you think about the film. If you hate the film, as so many fans do, what exactly is it about The Final Frontier that makes you feel this way? And please don't tell me it sucks, it's the worst film ever, it's an odd number Star Trek. I mean, I really want to know what is it that you don't like about it, because I am always perfectly fine with people not liking the same thing I do, but I like to know the real reason, not just everyone else hates it, so I do too, which is what I think did in Enterprise. So let me know. And also let me know, has your view of the film changed over the years? 
You can find me on Twitter. My username is C Brian Jones, the letter C and Brian with a Y. And I really would like to hear from you. Now, I do have a network update for you to close out the show. It's Monday, which means TOS and Standard Orbit. And keeping with the theme of this hyper channel, Mike and Drew share their memories of their first viewings, what they think about it today, how it could have been redeemed, and how much the lack of the rock monsters hurt the final product. If you don't know what this is about, tune into the show and you'll find out. Plus, Mike tells us about his favorite DVD bonus feature of all time and the infamous Star Trek V press conference. And they asked the question, could the press conference have been improved with more rock monsters? So find out in what they are calling a thrilling episode of Standard Orbit. (laughs) You get more Star Trek V here on the anniversary. So you'll find this episode in your feeds right now if you subscribe to the individual feed for Standard Orbit or the Trek of Him Complete Master Feed. You can get that Everywhere you get your podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, Swell, BlackBerry, SoundCloud, we're all over the place. Or you can stream from our website or grab the RSS link as well and drop that into your favorite podcatcher application. Well, that's all I have for you today. Remember, if you're streaming this from our website, you can have it delivered directly to the device of your choice by subscribing to the Hyper Channel show feed or to the Trek of Film Complete Master Feed, which contains every episode of every show we do. As I mentioned, I really would like to hear from you on this topic. You can find the network on Twitter. Our username is TrekFM. My username is C. Brian Jones, the letter C and Brian with a Y. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. On Google+, search communities for trek.fm and you'll find us there. We have forums at trek.fm slash forums. You can send voicemail through the website as well. Look in the sidebar and you'll see that tool. And also we have a contact form, trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and choose Hyper Channel, and that will come to me by email. Well, thanks for listening to my spiel about Star Trek V today, everyone. Celebrate the anniversary by watching it tonight and see if you still hate it as much as you think or if you see some of those positives that I pointed out. And then I'll be back tomorrow with some more stories for you. So until then, go watch Star Trek V.